Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Over the past few days, we have observed some of the most sacred moments from which our salvation was wrought. On Thursday night, we celebrated the institution of the Sacrament of Holy Communion at the Last Supper, followed by the stripping of the altar as a commemoration of his betrayal. Some even stayed that night awake and watched at the altar of repose for an hour. On Good Friday, we commemorated the crucifixion as we walked the stations of the cross. We prayed the litany of the passion, and in the evening, we venerated the most holy cross. Last night at our Easter vigil, we began our celebration of the resurrection, but today it reaches full bloom. He is risen. On this day, we celebrate the fact that the grave could not hold our Lord and Savior, that he has conquered hell, death, and the devil. And in these cosmic level events, we recognize that they have significance for each of us because it's in these events of the past three days that we find life. I said this a few weeks ago in a sermon, but it bears repeating. Every single page of scripture, Old and New Testaments both, point us to Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, as you read it, there's a palpable sense of hope, a firm expectation that death, sin, and the devil cannot win. We see this in the very first Messianic prophecy, immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve. God promises in his condemnation of the serpent that I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so we're taught from the very beginning of scripture to look for a wounded victor, a bleeding Messiah. And in the Isaiah passage that Gary read for us this morning, we see an echo of this expectation. The prophet boldly proclaims he will swallow up death and victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. We even see this expectation in the book of Job. Job, in the midst of his afflictions, cries out, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Today, on Easter Sunday, we stand with firm confidence that the fulfillment of this longing for a Savior to liberate us from death and from sin and from the devil has arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he has won the victory. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And this has an application for each and every one of us, because St. Paul in Colossians tells us, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Jesus' death 
was God's way of maintaining perfect justice and perfect mercy simultaneously. It was the greatest rescue mission of all time. And as we profess in the Apostles' Creed, when Jesus died, he descended into the dead or into hell. He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, St. Peter tells us. He harrowed hell, rescuing souls who had been trapped there. Perhaps you've seen that wonderful picture of Jesus springing forth from the grave, holding the hands of Adam and Eve, leading a whole multitude out of their shadowy imprisonment. But Jesus' death on its own would be meaningless. If Jesus had stayed in the tomb, we would have no reason to be here today. We would be the most pitiable of men, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians. If Jesus stayed in the tomb, he would have been a political martyr, perhaps, but ultimately his death would have been meaningless. It would have been a reminder to us of the futility of the way things are. He would have been no different than Socrates, who was killed by the Athenians for challenging the status quo. A reminder that the, things, the way things are is the way things will continue to be. The violence that exists now is the violence that will continue on and on. But the Christian story is one that's imbued with a resplendent hope. Jesus did not stay dead. He was resurrected. This was not a ploy by his disciples to try and legitimate their position in the burgeoning church. That would have been unthinkable to them at the time. Read the gospel reading from this morning. And we don't mean that Jesus was resurrected in a sort of metaphorical sense. Oh, he was resurrected in the memory of his disciples. Or, oh, he lived on in their hearts. No. Jesus' human soul was reunited with and reanimated his body, which had been lying lifeless in the tomb. And so we can look at the resurrected Lord and say with Thomas the Apostle, my Lord and my God, because the fact that he was resurrected is proof that everything he said and everything he did was true. Truly, this is the Son of God. And so on this day, we celebrate the ultimate victory. Jesus has won. And as a result, we can join St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 in his taunt of death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory has been won. And you know what? Our Lord has left us with two ongoing rituals or sacraments that allow us to benefit from and participate in his salvific work. The first is the sacrament of baptism. What we saw last week with baby Jonas at our eight o'clock service. What we saw today with Emily and Aaron. And we'll hopefully see soon with baby Silas. In baptism, we are baptized into Jesus Christ, St. Paul tells us. And when we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And what this means is that we have been translated from the genealogy of Adam, which is a genealogy of death, into the genealogy of Christ, which is a genealogy of life. Paul says in Romans 5, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But the grace of God and the gift by grace 
which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. In baptism, we are born again. The old dies and the new comes. And once we're enlivened by baptism, we can participate in the other sacrament left by our Lord to enable our participation in his victory. It's the Eucharist, what we're about to do in just a moment. As the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus is in heaven offering his sacrifice from Calvary to the Father, those events on Mon- of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And the Father, as a reward, pours on him the gifts, gifts, multiple gifts for his actions. But Jesus, who's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, has no need of any gifts, and so he freely passes them on to us, those of us who have been baptized, those of us who receive his body and blood. And so the Eucharist is a means of grace for us today because Jesus has won the victory of Easter. It's very easy this day and age, I think, for all of us to become CEOs, Christmas and Easter only Christians. The rate at which our culture is secularizing makes it not normal to go to church anymore. In fact, for many people, it's weird to go to church, or it means you may have something wrong with you, and that's why you go to church. Further, we get, up so, we get so caught up in our schedules, our routines, our activities, that we forget or ignore our weekly obligation. But this week, our remembrance of Jesus' betrayal, the events of his passion, his death, and ultimately his resurrection remind all of us of a fundamental truth, God loves you, and he invites you. He invites you into his own life, not to be a CEO kind of Christian, but to be a sacramental disciple, a disciple who follows him, the risen Savior, who has saved and redeemed us. We walk in the newness of life that Christ has won for us, he who is the author, the pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.